y'all. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 22. If you've got a Bible, we invite you to open it up. It'll be on the screen in just a little while, too, but Matthew 22, um, as you uh, get ready to turn there. If you're early on here at Lake Point, we've been teaching through the last couple weeks as our kids, grandkids, and nieces and nephews, and everybody going back to school, uh, this idea that Jesus is a good teacher, uh, always asking tough questions uh, to those that have followed him just for a little bit and to those that have followed him for a long time. So today we're going to be looking at this question, whose son is he? All right, whose son um, is he? Uh, as you're turning to Matthew 22, um, I learned a few songs uh, growing up in first service. Y'all, they really got into it, surprising me that they wanted to sing that early. I don't know what it is about first service folks, but they're ready, you know, they were ready to go. So I asked them um, about some songs I learned uh, back in the 90s that I think, as far as I know, my dad probably learned them, you know, back in the 70s in church. Maybe his parents might have learned some of these way back in the day. And I told him this wasn't like Dua Lipa or anybody like we talked about a couple weeks ago. These are actually more Christian kind of songs, you know. So um, I just wanted to kind of kind of see how where we were. And there's a point to this, you know, on the way out the door, somebody said, hey, I invited friends to the church for the first time today. I was like, yeah. He said, yeah. And we sang like second graders. So I was like, oh, man, hope they come back. But anyway, um, I'm just going to start these, all right? I'm not a music minister. I'm not a choir director. But I, let's just start. All right, I'll start the song. And if you know it, you don't have to sing like first service. Do they like sing every chorus of every verse? I was like, no, just the next little bit, all right? So see if these sound, sound familiar to you. B-I-B-L-E, that's the... That's what's up, y'all. Some of y'all are raised in the South going to church. Like, that's it going on? And this is the most Pentecostal section of the church because they sing at them. All right, the next one here. I'm just giving the first line. All right, it's just one line. It's going to be tough. I am a C. Look at you. If you don't make it, just fake your words. Nice. Okay, if you've never heard that song before, we haven't completely jumped in to the speaking in tongues. We were speaking, like, <laughs> just saying, I'm just making sure everyone's on the same page. Like, we were spelling out, I am a Christian, I will live eternally, just kind of some old school church stuff there. If you didn't grow up in the church, this, this is what we had. We didn't have Honey in the Rock, all right? We had, we had this one. All right, this is one. I'm a fan, even if you are very new to church, new to the faith. Um, man, just the words of this song, I've taught them to all my kids. I would encourage you to teach them to your kids or grandkids as well if you have them. Jesus loves me. There we go. Oh, they're still going. For the Bible tells me so. This is the easiest sermon I've ever preached because I'm just letting other people sing it. Um, all right, this is one. I don't know if some of y'all heard this one, but again, like the Colorado, you know, probably a little calmer out there. You know, coffee's a little blonder out there. Like here, we're, we're like a dark roast, kind of straight, straight black kind of stuff. So this is how we get it. Um, I'm in the Lord's army. That's what's up. Anybody learned that one back in the day? We're not going on. All right, we're going to shoot the artillery. I get it. Like, I was there. Let's go. I was ready for it. He's got the whole world. 
in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's why I'm good right there, y'all. Um, these next two songs, first service, no one had heard this next one. There's only two more, so if, you're, if I'm losing, you just hang in for another 45 seconds. Um, and I, I was raised in a country church, all right? Like, we, we didn't have a lot of cable television. We had the satellite dish and figure stuff like that out. But in, in this one, it goes something like, let's dig a hole. Nobody in this one either. It's a Damascus first. Like, no one ever heard it. This is how it goes. I'm going to sing through it. If you just take this to the bank. You don't learn anything else today. We're going to get the scripture in a little bit. Let's dig a hole. Let's dig a hole. Let's dig a hole and throw the devil in. God made man. Man made the money. God made bees. And bees? Y'all see y'all are there. God made the devil and the devil made sin. Let's dig a hole and throw the devil in. All right, this is the last one. Only one person in first service knew this one, all right? It says, wrecked my world when I thought it was just a Columbia County thing. Um, and it goes like this, all right? If I had a little white box to put, I'd take him out and hug him tight and put him back again. I learned this in first grade. If I had a little black box to put the devil in, I'd take him out and stomp his face and put him back again. <laughs> That's what's up, girl. We went to the same church. That's crazy. That's wild. We had it. Absolutely love it. Learned a lot of songs as a kid. Learned a lot of scripture as a kid. I'm thankful for the men and the women that gave of their Sunday mornings, their Sunday nights, and their Wednesday nights to teach the children just like I am. Thankful for that here, for how many folks teach the children. I've been listening a lot to a group called Maverick City. I don't know if I've heard Maverick City. Just YouTube them and listen to some of their lyrics. It's beautiful, um, but they've actually done, in one of the recent albums, I don't have rights to this, so I'm not going to sing it or anything, but um, they've actually gone into the prisons, some of the most serious prisons in the country, and they've recorded worship songs, um, and they have these prisoners in prison inmate uniforms, um, and they're singing modern-day gospel songs. But what's powerful to me, and I'll try to share it online later today. I'll put it in the sermon notes. If you go to the website, we're starting to have the sermon notes with extra resources on there. Um, there's this one, y'all, where they, they sing this modern worship song that they've written. And at the end, one old dude in the back starts singing, Jesus loves me. And you watch all these men in the prison system sing that because they were taught it as children and how it's still there. Something happens when we instill truth into the next generation. This next week, and this has been planned for over a year, so don't think I've like just decided a random you know, trip or anything. Um, Dustin Weaver and myself are heading uh, to Uganda uh, next Saturday. Uh, we're flying out, and we're going to be there for 10 days. It takes a little bit of time to get there. We're going to be there for a while and a little bit of time to get back. Um, but we're flying um, into Entebbe, which is the capital of Uganda, and then going a much, much smaller plane and flying a few hours out into the middle of nowhere, Uganda, where we'll be serving um, in a region that's being ministered to by a few missionaries, one of which I got the chance to go to high school with. Um, he's working with a people group called the Karamajong people um, in an area, if you Google it later, in a region of Uganda called Kabong. It's Kabong, Uganda. But what's interesting here is this is a region of the world where just like 10 years ago, there were no Christians anywhere. So it wasn't like people were saying, well, I don't go to that church anymore because this preacher is shorter or taller. I don't go to that church anymore 
because their praise team's doing this, or I don't go to that church anymore because they have a newer building, or I don't go to that church anymore because I'm not Baptist or Methodist or Episcopal or Presbyterian or whatever anymore. It's more of, who is Jesus? Like, I've never heard of him before. Does he live here? And having conversations that are straight first century for us. No, but I can tell you about them by reading these pages to you. They have women in churches in Tennessee that have made quilts that tell the gospel story on the quilts because they don't have the Bible in their own language. Pretty impressive. Something wild's happening. The church is exploding. And they don't have buildings or campaigns or anything. One new believer in one village, I think we're going to have a chance to visit, became a believer just a few years ago. First believer in the history of the village since like beginning of time, history of the village. And now there's over 450 believers in that village because they're sharing the word. In John's gospel, one of Jesus' best friends says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with us, and the word was with him. The word is God. The word is the Lord so today, I want to encourage us as we read from the Word. We're going to read some cool story, y'all. It's a wild story about Jesus in here. I want us to ask of the Lord, if you're open to it, Lord, show me something new about yourself today. Let me be honest with some of the questions I may be having today as I present them before you. Be honest with his response. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 to 46. If you've got a Bible device, it'll also be up on the screen. Matthew 22. Verses 41 to 46, it says this. Now when the Pharisees were gathered together, the Pharisees, are, they're like the religious establishment. They're the church folks in Jesus' day that were devout, devout Jewish people. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. A few weeks ago, we unpacked that the word Christ is from the Greek Christos, which means Messiah. Like they're talking about the coming Messiah because in Jesus' day, everybody was waiting for the Messiah to come. They just didn't think it would look like Jesus when he showed up. So Jesus is getting real personal here. Verse 43, he said to them, Jesus said to the Pharisees, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, and he quotes Psalm 110 here. This is quoting the scripture on them. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? He's asked him a tough question. Verse 46 gets deep, y'all. It says, and no one was able to answer him a word nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. I used to use the phrase mic drop. It was a mic drop kind of moment, like when Jesus asked a question and they were speechless in response. Jesus goes on the offensive in this passage, challenging the religious establishment. He's talking to a group of people who had grown up in the church. They had known all the songs. They had the right passages memorized. They could quote things just like that. And they did everything right on the outside. But on the inside, they were misinterpreting the very words of God. So he challenges them by quoting scripture on them, which is pretty impressive. How they interpreted Psalm 110 verse 1 would either allow them 
or prevent them from understanding Jesus's true identity. So Jesus quotes this verse. This is Psalm 110, verse 1, that was written a long time before Jesus said this here. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Because when he asked about the Christ, their response was, The Christ will be the son of David. Like, he'll come from the line of David. And Jesus says, That's right. But what does the Scripture say? And he starts to introduce a verse that most of these men had had memorized since they were children, but had never understood it in this way. He was taking what they understood to be real and true and completely flipping it. Because he says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. As we're unpacking this, I want us to know that how we interpret the Bible matters. How we interpret the scripture matters. How do you interpret it? How do you open this book and read what it says and apply it to your daily life? My Bible, has anybody know, there's a lot of books in here. I have a wedding booklet in here. I just noticed this. Has anybody been married here for uh, less than, let's just say two weeks? Hey, I got your wedding book right here. Y'all still married? Glory, stay. This is great. These are looking, no, I'm just kidding. Y'all, congratulations to the newlyweds who are still honeymooning. And uh, if you want to know what my, here's my anyway, wedding notes. I now present to you for the 12th time, Mr. and Mrs. But knowing that when Jesus is teaching this, he's teaching a scripture that was very familiar to the people around him. There are two words I want to introduce to you. Some of you may have heard these words before. Eisegesis and exegesis. If you've ever done any like church history or studying of the text, what those two words means is eisegesis is E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. What that word means is it is someone that is reading into the text what that person wishes to find or thinks he or she will find in the text, which means like you're reading into an existing text something that you're hoping to find. Okay, so this is what it means like to me if I'm breaking it down. We live in a culture and in a world where we can ask Siri or Google or Alexa. Does anybody else have kids that have an Alexa upstairs? Have your kids named them weird things like Ziggy? You know, what, you know what you can't turn off when it's going upstairs? Ziggy, unless you know Ziggy's name. Like, so I've called that thing lots of things. So you can ask, you just have to unplug it from the wall. That's a whole thing. But you can ask a device or you can Google search or you can look up anything that you are currently go through and then at the end of it, put Bible or Bible verse and get thousands of pages in response from it. So you can say, I'm struggling with anxiety, Bible versus anxiety, boom. You will get hundreds and hundreds of Bible verses from anxiety from hundreds and hundreds of different sources telling you about what those verses mean. I think that is a gift to know that in our world today, we have access to so much knowledge that it can immediately be at our fingertips. One of the dangerous parts to that can be that there may be times in your life, because there have been times in my life, where because it's so accessible, I can find myself reading into the scripture what I want or hope the scripture to say, all right? And let me tell you what that means for me. Like I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, I have the ability to stand in front of people and teach every Sunday. I try to preach straight from the text. I've invited people at any time if I say something, like I don't know what that means, to reach out or to question it, and we'll, we'll unpack that. And y'all are, and it's really, I really do enjoy those conversations. But what I found is, if I wanted to speak to this group of people about any subject that I could find in Scripture, let's be honest, I can make it say whatever I wanted to say in front of you. I could read into the text whatever I wanted to read into the text so that it would sound good in front of other people to get people to go, amen, or I agree with you, or we're all going a certain direction. So we have to be careful not to read into the text, 
So what is, what is the opposite of that? It's reading out of the text. It's exegesis, which means you allow the text to speak for itself. You read a story. You allow the story to speak to you. You pray. Say, Lord, how's the story speaking to me today? How does it fit my current environment? And how can I apply it in my life? Some people are still like, I don't really understand the difference to that. We have churches today. I went past a church the other day. I don't, I'm not a fan of knocking other churches. It's not my style. If you want to knock other churches, this is not the church for you. Let other churches do what they want to do. We're only held accountable for what the Lord's called us to do. I did drive past a church, though. I had a really dumb church sign. Sorry. Really silly church sign up front. And it said, and I'm not discrediting where they probably started with this thought, but it said on the sign, if you've ever been hurt by Jesus, comma, that wasn't Jesus, that was the church. Jesus loves you, period. First off, I didn't know they had commas and periods in church sign language, but they do. What does that mean for anybody? Okay, I'm trying to share this in like a lot of motion. I understand that we live in a culture that wants to read into the text certain things, and some of those things can be, Jesus loves me, this I know, which means reading into it what it doesn't say no one can ever have their feelings hurt ever. And if they do, it's by someone else, not by God, because God doesn't ever want to hurt your feelings. That's not in the text. You know what I mean? That's the difference. So it's nice to be able to say, well, I'm telling you, it wasn't Jesus, because it hurt my feelings, that Jesus can hurt your feelings. Okay? If you followed him long enough, if you read this long enough, if you ask the Lord to lead you, there will be a chance in the future where he's going to do something that's going to challenge something you're currently thinking, saying, or doing. When we read into it, we can get a culture that wants to hear things like, well, God loves you, so he only wants what's best for you by the world standards. He only wants you to be comfortable. He only wants you to be at peace. He only wants you to be happy, which are great pop culture songs, but they're not biblical. So we as Christians, if you are a Christian, have to ask ourselves, all right, Lord, I don't want to fall into a trap of just like taking what someone else has said or saying, well, I think the Bible says, I want to actually like read it and apply it to my life as, as an individual. That's the word exegesis. That means we read the text and say, all right, Lord, how do I do this? Somebody asked me first service. I didn't do a good job of explaining it. I confused myself. So what I mean by that is when I read the text myself, I always start by saying, Lord, show me what you are doing in this text. Ask the Lord. Lord, speak to me as I'm reading this. You're presenting it to him because it's his book. And saying, speak to me through this. And then read the text. Ask the Lord questions about the text while you're working through it. I usually find it helpful if I find something confusing to surround myself with other believers, to have conversations with the text through Bible study or small group or Sunday morning service. Wrestle with it a little bit. And then ask myself, how can I apply it to my daily life? What does that mean? There are times that I read stories in the Bible and think, that's going to be really hard to live out. But it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means it might be really hard to live out. So Jesus is talking to a group of people that have read into the text what they expected God to do for hundreds and hundreds of years. They believed that a Christ was coming. They believed that a Messiah was coming. They just thought, assumed that he was going to be a military leader on a big white horse taking the country by storm. So when Jesus said things like, I'm telling you, the Messiah will wash people's feet. The Messiah will be at the end of the line. The Messiah will go to a cross. They said he can't. Because that's not how we read this book. So what does Jesus do here? He's all right, y'all that are reading the book, let me ask you some questions. And he begins to ask them questions about what the book actually says. How we interpret the Bible matters. I would invite all of us as followers of Jesus to let this text speak for itself. It's living. 
That's why I hope and pray that if you've been a Christian for a long time and you're still reading verses from the Bible each week, that you can get new things out of those verses and apply them. It's a living text. We can let it speak for itself. David in the Psalms calls the Messiah son and Lord, meaning that the coming Messiah would be both human and divine. What is Jesus doing? He's laying it out in front of him. Y'all, he's saying, this is me. I'm human and I'm divine. It's the doctrine of the incarnation, knowing that Jesus is fully God and fully man, yet one person for all of eternity. He's asking them this question because he knew it would cause them to wrestle with what they had always thought. Second, knowing the Bible matters, which is simple but extremely important. Knowing the Bible matters. Jesus quotes scripture in his debate with the Pharisees. Psalm 110 verse 1 is the most quoted Messianic text in the New Testament. The Pharisees would have recognized the Psalm of David as divinely inspired Messianic prophecy. So what's Jesus doing? He's quoting scripture on a bunch of people who knew the scripture to get them to wrestle with scripture. He's going back and forth. There's another awesome passage. I invite you to read it this week. If you have time in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11, we're not going to unpack it today. Jesus goes into baptism. He's baptized by John the Baptist, comes out of the water. Heaven's opened up. Dove flies down. Started to rain. <laughs> that would have been cool, though. Like, he gets, says he comes out of the water, and you remember what he does? He goes immediately into the wilderness. Why is it important for me to know the Bible? Scripture says, the Bible says, that when Jesus was in the wilderness, the devil showed up and began to tempt him. And to shut the devil down, Jesus quotes scripture on the devil. But then, the devil quotes scripture on Jesus to try to convince Jesus to do something that's wrong. What does that mean? According to scripture, the devil knows the Bible. Y'all, if the devil knows the Bible, I really need to know the Bible. Because the devil also knows my weaknesses and insecurities. The devil also knows how to try to work his way into my mind so that I can start reading into the text what's not really there. So I'll fall into my insecurities, which will lead me into sin. Which is why I have to know how to interpret it, but also got to know it. And if the devil's willing to quote scripture on Jesus to try to trip him up, I am pretty sure he's going to try to use something in scripture, either that I'm reading myself or that someone else is saying in front of me, to try to trip me up. Knowing the Bible matters. I hope and pray that in five years, 10 years, I don't know, 25 years, y'all, we try to have a good time here. I try to laugh. I like, I like laughing. It's, we like having relationships with people. But I want you to know that my main desire is for you to be able to quote the scripture and know more about the Lord five, 10, or 15 years from now than you're able to quote me or anything I ever say. You know, one of the reasons we like to open up with funny stuff is it relaxes the room. We relax the room and then we present the truth of scripture. So some people might walk out and remember a joke, but the prayer is that you'll remember the scripture more. It's raining pretty hard. Should we do a raffle or something real quick to see who's going to get dripped on first? It's usually where you're sitting, Miss Pigs. I'm not going to lie. Just prepare your heart. Like, look at somebody's going to get baptized in 37 seconds. We're going to get it. But... And then it's time. Knowing the Bible matters. One of my concerns for the American church as a pastor in the American church 
as a pastor of this church is that we may just have a lot of people who are reading and listening to a lot of other people's interpretations about what the text says and too few people actually reading the text. Could it be that some of us are struggling spiritually because we're not reading the Bible for ourselves? I think David Jeremiah is a great guy. I'm not gonna knock him. He's never invited me to his house for dinner. If he does, I promise I will take him up on that offer. I think Beth Moore sounds lovely. My wife and I would love to go to dinner. But I want everybody to know this. What God says about himself is always more important than what somebody else says about him. We need to use other books and other resources that the Lord allows us to have to interpret and to build up and to strengthen, but there's absolutely nothing wrong, y'all, with actually opening this for ourselves and reading it. Sometimes I think if more of us got our, this is a funny thing, anyway, the rain's distracting me. I'm convicted as a father that my children don't see me reading this book enough. I'm convicted as a husband that my wife doesn't have me open this book and read it over her. I'm convicted as a pastor and as a man and as a citizen of Morgan County that when people come to me with a struggle, one of my first actions is not, let's search the scriptures together. And to know that when we know this, it begins to change everything else around us. How might the Lord be leading us to know him more by reading his word? We're going to go to Uganda next week to a group of people who don't even have the text in their language and tell stories of Jesus and figure out ways to partner with churches that are just getting started based off of the same things that we are started on. Knowing the Bible matters. One more thing I'll add before we close out today. At the very end of this, in verse 46, the scripture says, After Jesus asked these tough questions, getting them to wrestle with what they had already believed, verse 46 says, and no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. And as far as I can tell, Jesus was okay with that. Jesus is loving and kind. He's a gentle shepherd. He is meek, but he is strong and he is authoritative which means that there will come a time when Jesus will say to everyone else, enough with the questions. Scripture says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord one day. Every knee, every tongue will confess, those that believe now and those that don't believe now. Scripture says every one of them will bow and confess. But in that moment, y'all, I really believe it's gonna be one of those times where Jesus will say, no more questions. You've already had your chance to acknowledge and believe. You've already had your chance to confess and believe. So if you feel the Lord is laying something on your heart, I think there's no better time to do that than now. If you are wrestling with a question of the faith or a question about the text, there's no better time to address those things than now. For Jesus told these folks a crazy question, whose son is he? At the end of it, they dared not ask anymore. Let's pray. Lord, today we thank you for allowing us to gather in this place. Lord, we thank you for loving us and for meeting us where we are. Lord, for allowing us to have your words in the Bibles around us. God, I thank you for those spent time teaching us the text, Lord, as kids, as adults, Lord, for those that have never heard these words before, that are being reached by missionaries across the world, 
Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to allow us to have your holy words compiled in a book, Lord, that we can go to and seek out. God, I do. I, I, I pray for conviction right now for me and for other parents in the room. Lord, may you convict us to read the Scripture more with our kids. Lord, to read the Scripture more with those in our households, to study it ourselves and to know what you were saying. I thank you for what it does say that you chose to find us where we are before he had a chance to find you. Help us, Lord, as we get ready to go out in the rain in just a little bit, but even more than that, as we get ready to go back out into a world that so oftentimes doesn't reflect who you are or what you've promised. Help us to know that the greatest way to be prepared to leave this place and to re-enter that is to know who you are and what you've said. If there's anybody here, Lord, that is struggling today, maybe they feel the Holy Spirit leading them, Lord, that they've been justifying or rationalizing something, doing, thinking, or saying. It's not biblical. Well, that today be the day they repent of that and lay it down. Come back before you. Know that you did pay it all and that you invite us back time after time. Lord, if there's anybody hearing these words that has never confessed Christ as Lord, may today be the day that they share that with another person. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We trust you. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. If you're able, we invite you to stand with us as we sing our closing song. If I can help you with any decision, if you'd like to know more about confessing Christ as Lord, entering baptism, if you see somebody to pray over you as you come down front, let's go as the Spirit leads as we lift our voices together.